You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. So we are finishing up our Family Values series, and we've been asking this question, why is family hard? And sometimes... It's internal strife that makes family difficult. Sometimes it's, it's the way people choose to, to uh, live their life. Sometimes it's just our expectations that kind of get out of place, and we got to kind of realign our expectations. And then sometimes life just throws curveballs at us all day long. And this week's topic is, is no different. What is different is I'm not the right guy to preach it. Uh, in fact, a guy probably shouldn't be preaching this one. And so, Jen, why don't you come up? Uh, Jen did a fantastic job in first service. Uh, you, I really value what Jen brings to the team. Uh, Jen has been on our uh, preaching team for a year as far as uh, I really believe that we need women's voices uh, within the church. And so she's been part of the sermon club for a year. And as we are dreaming and scheming about what the sermon should look like, we've had her input. But today we really need her voice because her experience in this particular topic is, is way more valuable in this than mine. And Logan's combined. <laughs> combined. So good job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, Yeah, in February, when we were planning out this sermon series uh, about family values, I was like, man, if you add one more week, you talk about Hannah and Samuel, and I think it would land on Mother's Day. And we looked at the calendar, and the guys were like, yeah, we could do that. And it was like, I want to go back in time and like know this for sure, but it felt like a slow motion turn of, you're preaching this. And I was like, Oh, I did it to myself. What have I done? <laughs> so um, it's my first time preaching. So I'm glad we get to go on this journey together. And um, yeah, uh, we are going to be in First Samuel 1. Um, and we have our comic strips again today, which I have loved these. I think they're fantastic. So I'm going to introduce our characters. Um, the first one is... Elkanah, and I'm just going to start off right from the bat. These are uh, Bible names, and they're awkward and weird, and you're going to get like 16 different pronunciations of them. So we have Elkanah, and he is the the father in this, uh, or the husband in this story. Uh, He uh, seems to really love the Lord. He is faithful to worship and go and sacrifice every year. And he has two wives. Um, and as we're reading through the story, it seems the reason why he has two wives is because Hannah, who is like the heroine of our story, uh, can't have kids. She, um, it says the Lord has closed her womb. And so, um, and in that time, having kids was really important because that's how you passed on your legacy. And so he has another wife whose name is Penny Anna, and she has a ton of kids. And um, she makes sure Hannah knows that she has a ton of kids. Like she 
rubs it in a lot. Uh, so um, they, year after year, travel to Shiloh, and that's where they worship, and that's where they sacrifice. Their, they do their annual sacrifice. And every year, Elkan um, gives a portion of meat to Penny and her kids, and then he gives a double portion of meat to Hannah because he loves her and um, because the Lord has closed her womb. Um, and it's at this point where we see Penny provoke Hannah to the point where she is crying and she is refusing to eat. Like, And I don't know about you, but I have been in that point before where I'm just like, like, yeah, a, a mess. And so Elkan knew he, I think, really has the best intentions when he's like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Like, aren't I better than 10 sons? <laughs> I, I don't know how or why he thought that question was helpful, but that's okay. <laughs> Makes Hannah cry more, and she runs off in tears, and she begs God, please give me a child and I will give him back to you. And she makes this promise, like, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you for service. And so uh, we, Eli is kind of watching this in the, um, watching her pray. And um, while she's praying, it, the, Eli sees that her mouth is moving, but she's not saying anything. And um, he thinks that she's drunk and he's like, go home. You're drunk. What are you doing? Um, how long it's like the Bible says, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought was she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I have, haven't had any wine. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of wish and resentment. And Eli said a simple, go in peace. May the Lord of Israel grant the request you've made of him. So there's a few observations I have from this story right away. Uh, Penny was unnecessarily cruel to Hannah. Like there's no reason to like rub in her face that she can't have kids. Um, and I think we have people like that in our lives that are like intentionally like, why, why do you need to say that? Like, um, and then El Canoe kind of reminds me of a sitcom dad. Um, and I, uh, Shondaya and I have been watching Modern Family and there's Phil. And that's like, that's the image I got in my head as I'm reading this story of like, he's like, what? I'm better than 10 sons. And then Hannah runs off crying and he like breaks the fourth wall and goes, what? What did I say? <laughs> um, and then we have Hannah. And honestly, she had a realistic dream. She wanted to be a mom. Like, I think a lot of us women have that dream and have that goal. But I kind of wonder if year after year and having this person sp like speak these lies over her, that the lies got louder and louder and louder to the point where like maybe she couldn't even hear from the Lord because the lies were so loud. And I wonder if she believed lies like, man, if only I loved Jesus more or not Jesus because he, you know what I mean. 
If only I served the Lord more, or only if I pleased my husband more, maybe then I would get a son. Um, I know one thing is clear from scripture. She was tired and broken from the waiting. Um, so we, that turns us to my story. And I brought a picture of myself at 16. Um, <laughs> uh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> so this is me at 16. And that's my what would Jesus do necklace because that was so cool. Um, <laughs> I didn't have just the bracelet. I had the necklace too. Um, and so there was like three, three goals that I had when I was 16 years old. Uh, technically four. We're going to talk about the fourth one in footnotes. That's our midweek podcast. Check it out. Uh, it's foolishness and silliness. That's why I'm not even like, it's, it's funny. So my three goals was I wanted to be in ministry. Um, at 16 years old, the youth pastor at my church stepped down. And for some reason, the senior pastor was like, you know what would be a great idea? Let's put the youth in charge of the youth. Uh, <laughs> it did not go well, but it did awaken this desire in me to be in youth ministry and to be in like discipleship ministry. And um, I have from the age of 16 to I just turned 38 this week. Uh, I have been in some form of ministry and I love it. Like I know that like that's a goal that I am accomplishing. Um, and then the next one is I wanted to be married. And I didn't want to just be married for married sake. I wanted to have a partner to do ministry with. And uh, I, and then my last one is I wanted to have a, a lot of kids. Um, little 16-year-old Jen had a crush that summer on a boy named Israel. And the family joke was Jen wanted to have the 12 tribes of Israel, 2.0, um, which <laughs> I actually said in first service, I wasn't going to put that out on the interweb, and here we are. So, <laughs> but I wanted to have bio kids, I wanted to have foster kids, I wanted to adopt, and uh, I wanted to be a place where my kids' kids could come and kids' friends could come and congregate, and we would just be like always having kids around. Uh, I look back at that one. I'm like, whew, thank you, Lord, that that. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. <laughs> um, so through my 20s, I did ministry in lots of different forms. Uh, I worked with Young Life, and I actually led their middle school ministry, which is called Wildlife, which is just the perfect middle school ministry name. Um, and I was proactive about living my life to the fullest and chasing this dream of being in ministry. Um, and I was still waiting and hoping for a partner that would do it with me. But I didn't allow the lack of that to hinder what I knew God was calling me to do. Um, I knew at the right time he would provide someone. Um, so... Um, Throughout my 20s, I would do ministry with great men and wonder if this was the end of the wait. And uh, it wasn't every time. Uh, <laughs> and each time the door would close, I would believe these lies that I was not enough. And that maybe if I was smarter or if I was skinnier or insert any feeling of being less than, that maybe something would happen. Or maybe I was too much because I can be pretty silly and I tend to love too quickly where like 
a week or two in, I'm like, hi, I love you. I'm so excited you're here. Like, I'm kind of like Buddy the Elf, I guess. Um, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, <laughs> um, or maybe even worse, like, maybe I didn't please God, and maybe I wasn't doing what he wanted me to, and, or I wasn't reading my Bible enough. And I think that lie can be so true for so many women of being not enough or being too much. And really, it's a lie. It's not true. And sometimes those lies would scream so loud at me that it would hide the truth that God was trying to speak to me. Um, so flash forward, I'm well into my 30s now, and I'm still single still uh, don't have kids because there's an order that you're supposed to go in, right? Like the K-I-S-S-I-N-G song, first came love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. Like you don't take it out of order. <laughs> um, but I was on a weekend trip with my best friend, Mo, and we were talking about how life was transitioning for us. And she's someone I had done ministry with through my whole 20s. Like she had walked every step with me. And we were at the point where we were um, moving on. Like the discipleship ministry we had started, it was closing and they were moving up to Big Fork to be pastors up there. And I was staying down here to be the director of CareNet. And I was talking to her about how I feel like this um, hope of being a mom was coming to a close as well because you hear the clock ticking. And um, I just remember saying, I really want to be a foster parent, and I just don't know how that's going to happen, and I don't want to do it by myself because those are tough kids that you take in. And um, she was like, well, have you prayed about it? Which <laughs> it's always a great question when somebody asks that because, no, I haven't, and I don't want to pray about it because there's an order, and we need to go in the order. Um, and so we finished that weekend away, and Sunday at church, um, there's this couple on the stage sharing about um, the foster care crisis in Montana. And I was like, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Um, and they shared about how there's an overwhelming need for parents, for foster parents. And um, I don't think I knew this then, but I was walking through an open door at that point that would be one of the most life-defining moments of my life. And I am so grateful I did. And today we have Jess with Childbridge here and she's going to share about Childbridge. So you kind of have one of these like moments to hear about what Childbridge does. So I'm gonna invite her up and she's gonna share. Thanks, Jen. Um, hi everyone, my name is Jess, and as Jen just said, I'm with Childbridge. So just a quick introduction to Childbridge. We are a non-profit ministry. We work um, both to find and to equip foster and adoptive families for children who've experienced abuse and neglect. So currently in the state of Montana, we have 3,000 children in our foster system. 3,000. In Missoula, we have 400 kiddos in our foster system. So before I get more into Childbridge and before I get into um, 
sharing our great ministry with you guys today. Um, I've been asked to share, um, do, go off script just a little bit, do something a little bit different. And um, wanting to share a little bit of my story um, in line with Jen's message today of unmet expectations. So you might hear a little bit of an accent. Um, I'm originally from Australia. I moved to the United States about a year and a half ago when the Lord poured on my heart and asked me to step out in faith now, right now. And so I said yes, and I moved, and my husband stayed behind, and he was meant to join me a couple of months later. But COVID, and Australia got hit. I'm one of the first countries in the world, and so their airports shut down pretty quickly. And they're still shut down. So my husband's still over there a year and a half later. So our plan, our expectation, we were going to move to the United States. The Lord was going to guide us. We were going to find an incredible place to live and restart our careers. But God (laughs) had a different plan entirely. I literally got off the plane, jumped into a rental car and started driving. And I went from truck stop to truck stop, campground to campground, public land to public land until the Lord finally led me up to Montana. And I was able to go to Bozeman and have peace. And I said, finally, God, finally, you know, let's start my life. And, you know, still waiting on my husband. Let's start. Let's go. I'm ready to work. That was really important to me. And the Lord said, no. But God, do you, do you know my qualifications? <laughs> do you know my background? Do you know I've been practicing social work for years and the government's contracted me and, you know, list all my things, right? And so I tried to work anyway. And roughly around the same time, I had a hyperextended thumb, a partially dislocated shoulder, and my back was out all at the same time. <laughs> And so I couldn't, I literally couldn't work anymore. I could barely leave the house. I remember I was in so much pain. I was grocery shopping and I would be in tears because I was trying to reach the shelf. I reached the shelf to grab my food and I would have to rely on the generosity of strangers during COVID. Talk about humbling. And I realized that the Lord wasn't just asking me or this external, apart from the job rebellion, the external obedience, God was after my heart. And so when he asked me to leave Bozeman and be homeless once again, I said yes. And so I went and I lived off public land by myself, alone. And it was a season of stripping. No husband. No family, no friends, no name, no job, no income, no self-worth, no purpose. And you get to the point when you realize, oh, I could die out here. And nobody would even know. Would they even find my body? And it wasn't until I cried out to the Lord and I gave him this heart. That literally the next day he led me to Missoula and he led me to Childbridge. And Childbridge, 
not only do I get the to my life's calling and my passion and walking with families or working with kiddos from hard places, but I get to work in ministry. We get to disciple families from the church. My plan, God's abundance, so much more than I could have hoped for initially. There's, <laughs> I'm reminded of Mark um, chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, and we all know the story um, when Jesus calls his disciples to cross the sea to get to the other side. And so verse 35, they're getting into the boat. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, they get to the other side. But there's this messy in the middle, this tricky middle part we can't skip. This is a part where Jesus calms the storm and the disciples stand back and say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey his command? I couldn't skip my missy middle. I had to step out in faith. So I'm reminded of one of our families that I work with out in Superior and they've given me permission to share this story. So Alita and Sean Smalley, they are a, um, a fantastic couple and they've got three teenage daughters um, who are their biological children. And then they've got five beautiful children they fostered and adopted under five. That's eight kiddos, five under five. Yep. <laughs> they did not expect this for their family. Their expectations was, okay, we've got our teenage daughters. They're well into their teenage years. They've got plans for their life. And they didn't have this burning to foster on their hearts. But there, the Lord gave him an opportunity. And it wasn't until there was two twins in a hospital in their area that needed a home that they felt the call of the Lord to step out in faith now. And so they did. And not only did they foster and adopt these two kiddos, they ended up fostering and adopting their three siblings that came year after year, a, five, a sibling group of five. And God didn't just pour an abundance there. He went one step further. That tricky middle, them stepping out in faith in that tricky middle, they had the opportunity to heal. They had the opportunity to learn to parent differently. So I want to share just a real, just take up another second of your time and share a quick story about one of their teenage daughters. Um, I won't use her real name. I'll just call her Sarah. So Sarah, 15 years, this happened a couple of weeks ago. 15-year-old daughter, she was um, going through a really stressful time at school. There was a number of things happening in her life, and she was feeling anxious. But she got locked in the downstairs bathroom of their home. Ordinarily, maybe this was okay, but she had a full-on panic to the point where she literally was so distressed, she ripped, I don't know how she did this, she ripped out the window from the wall to get to the outside. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to shimmy herself through, but it goes to show just how distraught she was when Alita, her mom, found her. And Alita would be the first to say that she used to be a dismissive parent. She would have said, Sarah, what's wrong with you? Why did you rip that window from the wall? What were you thinking? What are we supposed to do now? And there would have been this missed opportunity 
And Sarah would have walked away feeling ashamed. But that's not what happened. In stepping out in faith and learning to parent differently, Alita stepped in. And she held her daughter. And she poured out to her and she said, Sarah, I am so sorry. You must have been so distressed in order to have done that. And there was this beautiful moment of connection and of love. Our plans, our expectations, God's abundance that he has for us. So many opportunities, so many opportunities. I, I'm reminded of that 3,000 children. Can we just imagine what opportunities God has for them? So whether it's moving across the world, whether it's donating, whether it's fostering, God speaks to us and calls on us in very different ways. And sometimes it's a loud shout and it's clear as day. And sometimes it's as quiet as a whisper. There are children who need homes right now. There are children that are hurting today, right now. And when we hear this call, it really goes to show the shape of our heart. I'm reminded of my heart, <laughs> Alita's heart, Jen's heart. Determining how we step out and how we receive and how we respond to God's call. So I just want to invite you, if any of you um, feel the Lord in any prompting and want to know more, please have, feel free to chat to me after and fill out these, um, these cards. Love to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, I love Childbridge and the way they've come alongside me in my foster journey um, has been so helpful. And um, so we'll continue my story. Uh, I finished my training. I found an apartment. And before I'd even completed my license, I got a phone call saying, hey, we have two sisters that need short-term placement, which in the foster world, when they say short-term placement, they, they don't mean it. They mean... <laughs> We have two kids. Take them <laughs> forever. <laughs> uh, I was telling first service that I found out a year after I had gotten the girls that the agency that I foster through, their plan is to place kids with their forever home. And I was like, that was not in the online description, you guys. <laughs> um, so I got to bring in Haley and Shondaya, and they... Um, are amazing. They are uh, funny and vibrant and uh, silly and goofy. And to show the silliness, the first words out of Shandea's mouth, like they were supposed to be there at two. They got there at like 9.30. And so we had like zero time to really interact. But she walks into the apartment. She's like checking out. She's like, so where's your husband? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> And, uh, I was like, I'm pretty sure he is riding around on a turtle somewhere in the desert. And she just thought that was the funniest thing. And now, like, every once in a while, she'll, like, give me turtle things because she just thinks she's hilarious. And uh, <laughs> um, so 
I had the girls for about three months, and they were like, would you consider making the short-term placement a long-term placement? I was like, absolutely. Like, I was in love with these girls. And then about a year in, I was asked if I would consider being their permanent guardian, which there's a lot of reasons why the doors should not have opened for me to be able to do that. Like, I, they shouldn't even been placed with me, like, and for uh, tribal social services to give me like legal guardianship of the girls until they're 18, like that just is unheard of. And many people told me that. So I was living the dream. I was like walking the stride. I was being mom. I was, I was rocking it, honestly. Like we really enjoyed being with each other. And like, obviously they're like, they were nine and 10 and now they're 14 and 15. So we definitely did the, the teenage drama thing and still do that sometimes. But um, I don't think I fully comprehended what unconditional love was until I had the, the girls in my life. Like, I didn't know how to love fully until I got to love them fully. And I don't think I understood how much God loves me until I got to love someone unconditionally like that. So... We had a lot of years. We had about four years that were just great. We did Disneyland. We did family trips, road trips. It was awesome. And then in January of 2020, I was waiting for one court date. I had all the paperwork in. Everything was set. One court date until I was mom. And I, I went and got tattoos, which I wasn't a tattoo person until I had the girls. And I got one that describes the words that I feel like they are when they're not being teenage girls. Um, <laughs> and Shondaya is one of the bravest girls I know. Uh, she is like, if she sees somebody doing something wrong and hurting somebody else, she's going to stand up and she's going to defend them. And Haley is one of the most loyal people. Like once you're her person, you are her person and there's no breaking that bond. Um, so it was one court date away from being mom. And then COVID happened and the court date got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And then May came and it was just a year ago where um, they went for a weekend family visit and um, it was a weekend and then it was a week and then it was two weeks. And then Haley just never came home and she's still not home. She, uh, she decided to stay with her family and for some reason, even though there was all these reasons why the family wasn't safe and they shouldn't have been there, it was allowed to happen. Um, and I was devastated. Uh, it still hurts. Uh, the fact that I'm not up here crying is uh, a miracle. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, it's been a year of Shandaya and I processing the loss of having somebody with us and then not having them there. And... Um, it's also been a year of Shandae and I really solidifying our relationship and really becoming like, I am her mom. And I don't know that she'll ever call me mom because that's a really painful thing for her. Um, but yesterday we were at Walmart and she did something and I can't even remember what it was. And I just looked at her, I was like, oh my gosh, you're so my kid. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And so it's so beautiful when I get those moments of like, oh, yeah, you're my kid. Like, 
And so uh, there is a quote that Tula from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, um, well, the actress who plays Tula, um, says, and it's the, if the standard route for creating a family had worked for me, I wouldn't have met this child. I needed to know her. I needed to be her mother. And in every way, she is my daughter. And that is so true for Shandaya. Like, she is my kid 100%. And Haley is too. And we're in this weird spot of like, she's not with me, but I still love her with all of my heart. And like, she's still my daughter. Uh, so, uh, I've had to learn how to live in this dream of being a mom to somebody who's not with me. And um, and it's been hard, but it's also been beautiful because I get to see that God is still good and he's still faithful. And um, so let's return to Hannah's story. Um, the next morning... Elkanu and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord, and afterwards they returned home. And then Elkanu was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Sam Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. And I love this part where it says, the Lord remembered Hannah. Because it's not like he forgot, like he's like, oh, where'd Hannah go? I don't, what happened? It's, he was faithful to keep his promise to her. And I love that. I love that God is faithful to keep his promises to us. And I think sometimes we think when we have these dreams that they're a bad thing. But God gives us dreams and he gives us visions for our life. And that's so good. And he sees our dreams and he knows how and when they are going to be fulfilled. And honestly, like Jess said, it is better than we could ever imagine. Like I had a dream of being a mom to 12 kids. Being Shondaya's and Haley's mom is so much better than I could ever expect. Like I got to skip the diaper phase and go straight to the teenage phase, which is like my wheelhouse. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, we also know like, Samuel was born right when he needed to be born. Like, he had an important role to play in the story of Christ and in the story of Old Testament that, he, like, he was there when he needed to be there. And so, and God also provided so much more for Hannah. Like, in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, she, like, talks about how, like, she has five more kids and, like, her enemies are being defeated. And when she talks about her enemies, she's talking about Penny, the, the cruel sister wife that she had. So our implication this week is we need to lay our unmet expectations at God's feet, trusting that he sees the story from beginning to end. So Hannah wanted a child, and I understand I wanted a child. Like, I wanted children, lots of them. And I remember begging God for that to happen and I remember once I found out the girls were going to be with me permanently, like I had a friend, I called him and I was like, you'll never believe this. The girls are going to be with me permanently. I'm so excited. He's like, man, it's going to ruin your shot at getting married. <laughs> Talk about deflate, like popping that balloon. I was like, yeah, you're right. But also God's dream is so much bigger than mine. And like, 
I love that I get to live this part of my dream this way. And like that desire to have a husband and to have a, like somebody to partner in ministry with is still there. And I believe that God's placed it there. And it's, um, I've asked, I've begged him to take it away and it's still there. So I'm like, okay, that means at the right time, you're going to fulfill that desire. And I think just like my desires and Hannah's desires, he sees yours and he sees the dreams that you have for your life that are God size and big and that the ones that only he can fulfill at his time. And he's going to do that. So one of our next steps is don't believe the lie that your God given desires are bad. Share them with God. Also share them with your community. In Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think those are those God-sized dreams that like, that here's what I'm hoping God will do and here's what he does. And it's so much better because I give him those desires and I delight myself in him and he just blows it out of the water and makes it so much better than I could ever expect. Our next, next step, uh, next step number two, there we go. Pray, show me what I'm responsible for. Show me my part and empower me to do it and reveal to me the things I need to release to you. When I had Childbridge come to my church and share, I could have said, oh, that's a coincidence. (laughs) Cool. Well, when the time's right, now I know that they're there. Or I can take the step and be like, okay, I'm going to put my name on the list. I took the, at that point, they had books that they would give you to read. And honestly, that book just solidified the fact that I needed to wait, but I didn't. (laughs) It was a really scary story of foster care. (laughs) It's probably why they don't give it out anymore. (laughs) Um, But it helped me remember that God isn't sitting on pins and needles and he isn't worried. He knows exactly how and when things are going to happen. And I can pray that he gives me wisdom to know those, like know what my next step is. And next step three, when God reveals what he's doing, you have to take the next step. And uh, for me, that was saying yes to Childbridge. It was saying yes to foster care. It was saying yes to doing ministry at 16 when I was so not equipped for it. Um, and I have one other tattoo and it, you can't see it cause it's white and I'm very pale. Uh, but it says courage, dear heart, which is a quote that Aslan says to Lucy in the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And he's reminding her to have courage, to take the next step to that he is with us. And I love that. I love that I have that reminder and I have it in white because it's a reminder for me. And uh, so I pray that this week he will reveal next steps to you and that you will be faithful to walk out in them. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, 
You can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.